Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 111. This one was recorded by phone here in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York. And my guest is Kelly Caldwell. She's in Philadelphia. Kelly is the executive director of the Hope Bag Mission. What they do is they supply bags of supplies, uh, feminine hygiene products, toiletries, things for women who have been trafficked. Um, I had David Wieser on here from Indonesia. Well, he's from New Zealand, but um, he's living in Indonesia. And we talked about human trafficking in Indonesia and this is a, a little bit different. There are some similarities, but, you know, I think that most people here in the States wouldn't think that there's a lot of human trafficking happening in the United States and they would be thinking wrong. So Kelly helps to sort of shed light on the issue and to inform me. I had some misconceptions about certain things. So this is an education for me as well. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm greatly inspired by people who are doing meaningful things, doing creative things, doing things to help their community. And Kelly's doing all three of those. Um, I Man, I teared up a bit. I'm like, <laughs> usually when I do these uh, recordings remotely, I'll do them through video. And we didn't video this time, and I'm kind of glad because I was at there. There were some tears at one point. Uh, so what I want you to do is I want you to go to the show notes for this episode and I want you to find the links for the Hope Bag mission and to get involved. So normally I would tell you guys that I have a Patreon account and I want you to get involved in donating towards this podcast to keep the podcast coming. Uh, but nah, don't do that this time. If you, even if you have 10 bucks to spare, if you're like, uh, I'll skip one lunch out this week and cook it for myself. Uh, send that 10 bucks to the Hope Bag Mission because they need it far more than me. I'm on this silly, stupid journey of, you know, travel, which is, I guess, maybe quite selfish. But there are people who need the money way, way more than me. So if you have a spare whatever this week and you were like, oh, I was looking to give it to something, do not give it to this podcast. Give it to the Hope Bag Mission. And all you have to do is follow the links in this in the show notes for this episode and you'll find how you can do that. Yeah, so uh, Philly's an interesting thing to me as well. We talked about this, but I don't know. For some reason, I guess like New Yorkers look down on Philly. I honestly, I say this, but I think it's because of sports. I remember when the Phillies won the World Series and then when the Eagles won, like the city just like gets torched. <laughs> I worked with this guy, Gary, and Gary was nuts. He had all sorts of crazy stories. He threw a cat out a car window once. Uh, ugh, anyway, but he had told me the story about, like he was a Mets fan and he went down to Philly and he got into this massive brawl. And for some reason that always sort of like colored like how I saw Philly until I went there recently. And it was awesome and it was a really good time. And it, I saw that there was a lot going on. And then I thought, okay, like I'm super close to Philly from New York. It's twelve bucks on, yeah, twelve dollars on the on the Chinatown bus to get to Philly from here, and it's only two hours. Let me do a bunch of episodes in Philly. So I contacted some people, and I got people that said yes. 
And uh, one of those people was Kelly. But because now, as I've told you, I'm doing sort of the acting, like the background acting stuff. I don't want to call it acting. Uh, you know, it, it's my schedule's been weird and it's been hard to get there. So I have a few that are sort of hanging in the balance that I'll still do. Uh, but I really wanted to do this one with Kelly. Uh, so we, do, we did it over the phone. So hopefully you guys learned something. Um, you know, it's uh, not entertaining in the sense that this is like a silly, goofy one. Uh, but she's a, a really good speaker and, uh, I was really, really glad to have her on here. So, all right, we, or I, in this episode, I asked Kelly about Nipsey Hussle because, um, you know, it's a, it's a current event that you, I'm sure that you're aware that Nipsey Hussle was shot and killed, but, uh, in following Kelly's personal social media accounts, she posts about him. And he was philanthropic and was doing things for his community, which is similar to what Kelly's doing. So I'm assuming that's also part of why she likes him. So right now I'm going to play uh, last time that I checked. So right here after this jump, you'll hear last time that I checked, and then we will jump right into the conversation with Kelly. Okay. Enjoy, Voyagers. Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck. It was no smut on my rep. Last time that I checked, I was selling zones in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat. Last time that I checked, I'm the streets voice out west. Legendary self made progress. Last time that I checked, first you get the money, then respect, then the power and the hoes come next. Last time that I checked, I've been self made from the dribble. I was been saying I'm a killer. Nah. Playing no games with you niggas, pop clutch, switch lanes on you niggas. Nah. I laid down the game for you niggas, taught you how to charge more than what they paid for you niggas. On the whole thing for you niggas, reinvest, double up, then explain for you niggas, it gotta be love. Run the city, it gotta be cuz. Just for the pieces, I took off the Monopoly board. Hey, y'all niggas, false claims, it gotta be fraud. Just keep the hood about your mouth and you gotta be charged. I doubled up, tripled up, nigga, what? Banged on the whole game, I ain't give a fuck. Body trippin', handle business, got my digits up And when I drop, you know I'm about to fuck Last time that I checked, check, check. it was five chains on my neck It was no smut on my rep Last time that I checked, I was selling zones in the set Make a quarter mil, no sweat Last time that I checked, I'm the streets voice out west Legendary self-made progress Last time that I checked, first you get the money, then respect Then the power and the hoes come next Last time that I checked, come through fly No cosign, I ain't need radio to do mine I done fine, ain't I? Take my time Check. and take my tribe Every level that I crossed in this game Like state lines, it was visionary Either I'm genius or you niggas scary Maybe it's both in this balance I deliver daily For every nigga in these streets Try and feed the babies the Single mamas working hard not to miss a payment And dirty money get washed on royalty statements Black owners in this game are powerful racists Young niggas in the set that's doing it makeshift Out the garage, that's how you end up in charge That's how you end up in penthouses End up in cars, that's how you Start off a curb server, end up a boss That's how you Win the whole thing and lift up a cigar with sweat dripping down your face Cause the mission was Last hard. time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck It was no smut on my rep, last time that I checked I was selling zones in the set, make a quarter mil, no sweat Last time that I checked, I'm the streets voice out west Legendary self-made progress, last time that I checked First you get the money, then respect, then the power and the hoes come next Last time that I checked, I got the front and in the back 
We on the way and that's a fact This real, this ain't rap Where everybody wanna act pro-black The last lie you heard, this ain't that This, that, I didn't Made it out the gutter shit Nip told you fuck the middleman I told you fuck a bitch Fuck wearing they clothes, I wear my own shit Y'all get on y'all label, I own my own bitch Hey, yeah, I remember all that game you thought me Don't fuck around and get played by the label owners Talk that shit to these niggas, Adrian Broner But secure the window, don't let the game fool ya Cause when it's game over, it's really game over And all they do is play the game till it's game over And you be giving game like a big brother Mission never let them take it from us Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck it was no smut on my rep last time that I checked. I was selling zones in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat last time that I checked. I'm the streets voice out west. Legendary self made progress last time that I checked. First you get the money, then respect, then the power and the hoes come next last time that I checked. I'm excited to have you. I mean, listen, first of all, thank you. I mean, I see you out there on uh, NBC. You guys have been written oh. <laughs> written up in Essence magazine. So obviously the logical next step was the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. So uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. This, this was the highlight, okay? <laughs> Not this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is what I've been waiting for. Is that... Uh, is that kind of surreal for you to 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 be doing a feature on NBC? What's that like? Um, all, all of this all of this is uh, surreal for me because I honestly feel like I don't do enough. Like my time is so stretched, mm. so thin with you know my daytime job and just all these other things that I work on that I don't always have a lot of time to dedicate to, uh, you know, ongoing uh, dedication to the Hope Bag mission. But it seems as though, uh, you know, our mission has made such an indelible mark that people, you know, still consider working with us and partnering um, in, the, in the least, in my opinion, it's just such a small gesture to me to put the, to do the bags. Like, you know, I'm not on the front lines rescuing uh, victims or su survivors. I'm not, you know, in the triage of all of that. It's really about creating a resource and being a conduit between those first responders and um, long-term care providers. Like we're, we're the middle guy, but I guess because we're consistent people are always, you know, that they find they find me <laughs> like you did. I don't know. I don't do a lot of uh, marketing. I just don't. Well, I mean, you know, that's amazing. If I know you, you, you said you think you're not, you know, doing as much as others, but if if everybody, you know, did a little bit of something in regards to uh, a topic or a certain type of outreach or volunteerism that that they wanted to get involved in then I think all of our communities would be uh, a little bit stronger for it. So uh, certainly the community in Philly and, and the greater community that you impact is better off for the work that you're doing. So uh, I find it very admirable. Um, maybe I'll sort of 
explain how I found out about you and the Hope Bag Mission? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, are you originally from Philly, Kelly? Yes. Um, uh, uh, Philly, born and raised. Not West Philadelphia, but right. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, I'm from New York. I uh, was born on Long Island, but I've spent my adult life in New York City. And for whatever reason, I have like sort of this bias about Philly. I think it prob yeah. like probably stems from like stupid sports rivalries. Um, like the whole like Giants Eagles thing and like Mets Phillies. <laughs> like I feel like New Yorkers look down on Philly. And I honestly I can't really point to anything other than probably like a stupid sports rivalry. Um, but, uh, my girlfriend went to temple and she has a number of friends who still live in Philly. So a couple weeks ago we took, yeah, yeah. And uh, a couple weeks ago we took the, the Chinatown bus and we spent the weekend there and I was like, oh man, like there's actually a lot going on in Philly. <laughs> so I'm like the proximity super close. Maybe I'll try to do some Philly episodes. So I was searching for people doing cool things and doing interesting things. And I came across a list of something to the effect of like a hundred people who are influencing the community in a good way in Philly. Uh, and there you were. And so I checked you guys out and I saw that the work that you were doing and I was really impressed by it. So now here we are. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I didn't know about that list. And Oh, really? Um, no, I really... <laughs> When I, I'm telling you, I'm just like, so I, I don't market it. I don't brand it. I, I probably should, but I just do work. I, like, I'm just one that's just really about, you know, just working that I'm not worried about like marketing and stuff, but that's really cool. And I do think that, you know, for New Yorkers, so um, I went to Temple. That's what I said to you. Oh, hey, there you go. And I spent a lot of time because I wanted, to, it's funny, I wanted to go to FIT oh, wow. from high school. I, my dream was to become a fashion designer. Okay. And so I would spend all this time in New York. And mm. what I think it is, is that Philly is a nice little uh, epicenter, a metropolitan uh, mix between New York and D.C. Right uh. in the middle it's, you know, it has the culture of, of the, you know, the New York, but it also has like the, the policy and the politics of the, of the DC. And it's, it's a nice size. I just, I, I think that it, it gives you just a little bit of a lot of different things. Yeah. I, I think, think, you know, New York is about to be a little smidge jelly, jelly, jelly. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Um, Actually, okay, so before we even get, I mean, I'm going to go off on a million tangents here, but maybe you can answer something for me. Uh, sure. I had reached out to like the Equestrian Society and it was like a broken mm -hmm. email link. Uh, are you like, uh, are you knowledgeable mm -hmm. about the the North Philly like horseback riding guys? And can you explain oh, explain yeah. that to me? <laughs> Yes, that rides um, in Strawberry Mansion, like Thirty Third Street. Yep. They're a really they're they're elitist. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I, Philly natives can barely get 
um, in in contact with with those guys. Oh, okay. I, I, I am familiar with them, but no, I don't have a personal relationship, or nor have I. I've ever uh, ridden <laughs> up one of the horses, but yeah, they 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 take their job very seriously for sure. I mean, do you know exactly what they do? I thought it was more for recreation. Is it an actual job? Well, uh, yeah, let me not say it's not a, I shouldn't say it's a job. Well, let me say this. They do <laughs> offer horseback rides for the kids in the area. Oh, okay. So in that, or in that regard, yes. Like, you know, just that, you know, this, this equestrian activity in the middle of the hood is, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a very novel idea. And it's a way that they, that, you know, these, these guys give back to their community by expanding the horizon of young kids who would not know otherwise anything about horses outside of going to like the, a petting zoo. Oh, okay. So in that regard, yes. Um, you could kind of look at it as a job, but I don't know if now, I don't know if they get paid for it. Um, I don't know that much about it, but I do know that they do, they do um, offer that type of activity to the youth. Okay. Strawberry. So that's actually a good segue because, um, you know, throughout our country, there are many different things to get involved in. Internationally, there's many things to get involved in. Even in, you know, our immediate communities, from that list of influential people I looked at, I saw that there's all sorts of things happening in Philly that people are getting involved in. What is it that drew you to doing this work with uh, human trafficking? Sure. So my daytime job, I work in the court system. About five years ago now, um, in 2014, we have a specific, we have a court, we have a lot of diversionary por- uh, pro- court programs. And what I mean by that are these are programs that are geared towards problem solving. And New York, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Red Hook in Brooklyn. That's where I worked I for uh, seven years. Yeah. The, the Justice Center. Yes. Okay, great. So like it, it's similar where you, you know, you, it's more like a restorative justice, justice measure. Oh, yeah. So, I say all that to say there's a specific uh, diversionary program in the courts called Project Dawn, and it is for uh, women who have been charged with prostitution. And what the program does is in lieu of prosecuting these women, they enter this program with uh, substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, trauma treatment. So it's like a whole... A treatment uh, program that they have to go through, and once they have completed the program successfully, the district attorney's office withdraws charges. Oh, that's amazing! So that's uh huh. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's the premise of the court. Now, me at you know in 2014, not knowing much out much is of the world or realm of prostitution, I always uh, was under this assumption that, you know, women who were in that field, if you will, wanted to, like, this is something they wanted to do, it was their prerogative. Um, It wasn't until I actually worked in the program that I learned so much about the trauma that is associated 
with pros, uh, with prostitution. I almost said prosecution, but that's another different trap. <laughs> um, with, with prostitution. And, you know, they have licensed therapists and clinical psychologists that work with the with the women. And what I learned by being being in that court was that a lot of women, about 90 percent, actually, that are in the in prostitution are either coerced and it's it's a non willful element to it Mm. that I did not, I was not aware of. And that's when the whole term of trafficking even, uh, you know, was brought to my attention. This, this term human trafficking, I had no idea what that term was. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I I mean, well, I did see like the Liam Nielsen movies or whatever (laughs) taken, but you, you think of it with the association to me was more of a, you know, uh, European uh, over in Europe and you get cat, you know, you get like kidnapped and it's like this real theatrical, uh, uh, way that that occurs. But the idea of a connection between prostitution and human trafficking and the idea of women, you know, being held against their will or being coerced through some form of a substance abuse, addiction, poverty, uh, r- running, a- runaways for like younger girls. Um, that whole perspective was brought to light by working in that court and just seeing the the, the trauma and just how vulnerable these, these these women and young women were. It just tugged at my heartstrings that we had an issue in our community that was pretty much hiding in plain sight. That's how I originally got involved. It was through the the criminal justice side um, of working in a court program that worked with uh, women who were charged with prostitution. And that's how I got that association came originally. Yeah, I, um, I had somebody on here when I was in Indonesia and we talked about trafficking in Indonesia And I think you make a good point that I think most people would think of human trafficking, you know, in terms like sex slavery and things like that as, um, you know, like Eastern Europe or even Southeast Asia, uh, where it's pretty prevalent. I don't think most people would think that it's happening like right in their backyard. Um, Is there a sort of prototype for the type of person who's trafficked? Like I would assume... Uh, you know, women from low-income communities uh, and then therefore more likely to be women of color. Is there more of like a, a, a typical scenario in which a woman is trafficked? So, and that's a, that's a really, really good question because to be honest with you, a trafficking victim, it, it's a uh, very vast, uh, demographic, if you will, it crosses ages, uh, crosses, you know, um, ethnicities, um, and it, and it can impact as gender as well. There's, there's a, a rise in young boys and young men who are trafficked as well. But I would say primarily like the, the, what perpetrators, are looking for um, are young 
people between the ages of 12 and 14. Some as young, unfortunately, some as young as about seven, I think, was in Philadelphia. I think our youngest victim was seven. But definitely uh, the target age is 12 to 14. Wow. Uh, yes. So with regards to other demographics like um, uh, areas that are most vulnerable, definitely young girls who, uh, like, for instance, runaways, within 48 hours, one in every four girls that are runaways will be coerced in some way or, or not coerced, I should say, but um, approached by a, a perpetrator for prostitution. Wow. Within 48 hours. And in the U.S. alone, it's uh, 100,000 to 200,000 people are trafficked each year. Whoa. And across the globe, we're talking about uh, thir- uh, 40 million. Excuse me. Oh, my God. And only 1%. One percent across the world, one percent of human trafficking victims are actually rescued. So, uh, like, it's really confusing. Mm-hmm. It's confusing to me, I guess, sort of, uh, and sorry for, like, maybe the ignorance on this, but so, like, here in the, mm-hmm. here in the States, um, it, like, what is sort of the pathway to, like, I don't even want to say like the commerce of this or like the economy of it. Like it, is this happening through the internet? Like how? Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's a good point that you, that's a good question also. So the way, um, trafficking has been able to not only sustain itself, but grow exponentially as of last year, it was the second, um, so there was drug trafficking and then human trafficking as the, the second most profitable uh, illicit industry. Wow. Well, it now surpassed drug trafficking as the number one most profitable illicit industry. And that is through the Internet. So you have websites and apps like Backpage, Um even in, in different social media apps like Instagram or your Facebooks where perpetrators are, you know, soliciting young people, but not, you know, but under the guise of being like a, an admirer of some sort, you know? So that's why education and awareness to that targeted demographic of the 12 to 14 year old is so paramount to creating, uh, you know, a, a, a dent, if you will, or derailing the, the the success of trafficking, of human trafficking, because that's really, you know, uh, uh, where the perpetrators are looking to solicit young people. It's via the internet, through the back pages or, you know, through, again, just your uh, 
very common social media uh, platforms like your Facebooks and Instagrams and just simply uh, sending a message. Prior to that, you wouldn't believe it, believe it or not, but malls, shopping malls were, were hubs for perpetrators to approach, you know, young girls. And they always, you know, I've, I've sat in on countless uh, conferences and watched uh, different uh, documentaries and where they've actually interviewed, you know, um, perpetrators who have been um, apprehended or have done time, you know, were, were convicted of trafficking. And um, what they would say, what their what their approach was, you know, they would look for girls who kind of, um, they, they had like this, this vulnerable look. They did not seem very confident. And they would approach this young person and just, you know, say, oh, hey, you know, you're so beautiful. You know, just start with the compliments first. And that was, um, you know, their 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 way of starting that dialogue and gaining the trust. And then it would turn into, you know, the coercion side and keeping them would be, you know, uh, having them drink. You know, you're buying them drinks, you're buying them, uh, you know, certain drugs, if it's weed or, you know, if it's uh, pills, things like that. That keep so then the addiction begins to be like their leverage to keep the keep the power over them, for sure. Wow. So, um, so yeah, that's really primarily the way they um how they get get the girls from for the most part, and so now with the internet, that's really how they are able to reach a, a, a larger, you know, be able to, to to expand their operations on such a larger scale. Wow. You made a really interesting point earlier when you said that um, a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, in the, the pool of people who are considered like prostitutes or sex workers, right, that a large number of people would be trafficked. I remember hearing... I can't remember if it was the last Super Bowl or the one that e the Eagles won that was two Super Bowls ago that was in Atlanta. And I remember reading that they were saying, or the media was reporting, like there's the potential for a lot of trafficking to be happening, happening at this Super Bowl because for whatever reason, like that region or that airport gets a lot of trafficked women. And that because all these people are coming down to the Super Bowl, with money, that means that people are going to be like seeking out sex workers. Uh, are you like aware of that particular scenario at all? Oh my goodness, yes. Okay. The Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, unfortunately, in two different ways. You know, it's the the it's the highlight of the football season, but for a for the illicit human trafficking um, industry, that is the premier event um, for grossing a lot of revenue, unfortunately, um, okay. at that, at, within that same arena. Um, and every year, so ever since 20, 2015 for me, um, 
when I forget where they were. I think it was in California, but that was when we started to work and work with different organizations that were um, providing the, the the rescued survivors with toiletries because. At the Super Bowl, there would you can guarantee there would be some type of sting or a bust that would happen subsequent or within that time frame of the Super Bowl weekend. Wow! So yeah, Atlanta. So of the 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 top jurisdictions for high trafficking, Atlanta is number one. Um, then you have San Francisco. Um, the uh, Houston, Texas, Baltimore, uh, Philadelphia is among the top ten. And if you and if you look at the 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 locations, they're all major transportation hubs. O'Hare, you know, um, airport. You have uh, for Philadelphia the International Airport, Houston. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, say New York as well with JFK, LAX. These are major transportation hubs. And not just the airports, but even um, like Amtrak. They have now, you know, created human tra- uh, human trafficking uh, awareness trainings for um, both aviation, the uh, aviation workers, as well as uh, the the trains and and transportation workers as well, to be on the lookout for certain signs, like unaccompanied minors that may be dressed very, you know, suggestive and puts on a lot of makeup, or they're... um, they may have a huge bag, and if they get on the plane looking one way, like with sweats or something, then they use the rest. They go to the restroom, and then they change their clothes, and now they have like a super tight skirt, short skirt, and they put all this makeup on as they're exiting the plane and or train, looking out for certain signs like that too. So the major transportation hubs are are huge uh, epicenters. And truck truck routes too. Can't forget about the truck routes. It's a huge issue in Ohio wow. for the truck for the trucking industry. Okay, so I know that um, people are trafficked for different reasons. Like I mentioned, Indonesia, there's a lot of people who are tracked for or who are trafficked for like domestic labor. Um, there's yeah. there's modern day slavery in. Uh, there's a video that came out about. Oh, was it Libya? I think most recently, um, I think it was last year where, where humans are literally being trafficked for, for slave labor. Um, here in the States, I know we're talking about a variety of issues as well, but in regards to people who are sex trafficked, you know, with sort of this internet enlightenment, I guess that's sort of happening here where like people are becoming, uh, knowledgeable on issues and uh, we're sort of becoming a, a bit more progressive and there's like sex positivity. With that, there's even um, sort of erasing the stigma 
of people who are willingful sex workers. Um, I wonder maybe if, if you have any insight or if you've ever thought about if, if sex work is sort of legalized and regulated in a way that it can be safe for both parties, would that cut down on like the illicit trade and the trafficking of, of people for sex work, do you think? That, so that is in the in the um, human trafficking, anti-human trafficking advocacy um, world, if you will, um, a very, very, uh, I don't want to say contentious topic or subject, kind of is because sex work when I, so in my, and I'll speak for myself, I won't speak on behalf of all um, human trafficking uh, advocates, anti-human trafficking advocates, but um, from the therapists and clinicians and, um, uh, you know, service providers, behavioral health service providers that are in my network and that I, you know, know and trust, they're, they find it very uh, seldom again, with a 90% um, average of someone being, uh, you know, going into prostitution not willful, that is, it's such a small number of people that you can truly identify as one, as doing this willfully. That's one thing. Second, if the target pop, if the target demographic is 12 to 14, Let's push it to 18. Let's say 12 uh, to 18. yeah, okay. I don't care what that young person says that they want to do. They're still minors. Right, right, right. If you can't make a distinction that a, a sex worker that's 12 years old is doing this because they want to. You know what I mean? That would derail all the juvenile justice reform that we've been fighting for. You're telling me that, you know, a, a, a young person and I'm going to like the juvenile uh, lifers that, you know, the, the Supreme Court just overturned uh, two years ago. They're that, you know, because their brains have not developed fully to make that type of decision, we're going to now say, well, when it comes to uh, sex work, yeah, they're doing, you know, they're fully knowledge, you know, knowingly and intelligently making that decision. I cannot, I do not support that. You'll have to find, you know, me some credible research to suggest and or support that hypothesis. So for me, when I look at the majority of, of, of victims based on the target, you know, the target demographic, I can't say that, you know, the regulation for uh, sex work, for the sex work industry will make, uh, you know, a, a huge impact on human trafficking. I, I just, just, you know, from my knowledge, from being in this industry, from knowing, from being in this um, advocacy work, the, I, there it's, it's a it's a nominal number on the grand scheme on the grand scale. You know what I mean? I, so for those who you know over the age of eighteen, and again we there's been policies that have been stalled in Philadelphia. For instance, in 2015, um, 
city council. There were two council members that proposed a bill to uh, uh, prohibit hotels from offering hourly rates because there's a huge uh, connection between hotels that offer hourly rates and, you know, the the, um, existence of traffic, of human trafficking and high rates of prostitution. So to prohibit out of hotels from being able to um, offer hourly rates, the idea, the intent was, again, to, to um, derail uh, any, uh, any forms of, of prostitution and or trafficking. Well, the bill never made it to the floor to, to, for a hearing because there was a lot of pushback in the sex work community. So I I do, you know, understand to a certain degree because their their thing was, well, the hourly rate, rates provide um, individuals who are sex workers with a safe environment to take a shower, to, you know, to rest, um, use it as like a respite, if you will. But then I think on the other hand, well, what about, you know, the, 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 huge majority of non-willful individuals that are being uh, trafficked or, you know, in prostitution that are, you know, being uh, violated repeatedly and daily in this same environment. And now we have an opportunity to use some legislation that can protect them, but because of uh, a, a, a small group of individuals that, you know, are in the a different uh, industry that uses this same environment has now derailed, you know, that this possible um, d- solution, if you will, to creating a safe, a, a, a safer space. I, I don't know. I, I just, that's a that's a an ongoing issue, and I want to bring. I want to work and talk to, you know, sex worker unions or in, in associations, so that we can get some 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 commonality and some understanding and get to a common ground. Or how how can we, you know, uh, co advocate? Because you, you they can't th- those on on you know that app that are in that world cannot deny that there are young people and, and minors that are in this uh, that are being you know coerced or, or um, held against their will to perform you know illicit sexual activities. Yeah, you you I mean, you make a really good point. I I hadn't even like you mentioned it earlier and I I didn't even think that like the average age of a person who's trafficked is a minor. Um but but even like that's making me think even a you know, an 18 to 25 year old, your brain is still developing and therefore your decision making skills are still developing. And so I hadn't even thought yeah. of that. Um so that's a really good point. Uh Yeah, it it it's it's deep, Tim. It's it's a really deep situation and I mean from my experience with sex workers because I was very upset that the bills in in the um in Philadelphia were stalled I wanted to understand and I wanted to you know learn 
from this from the it was the sex workers association um what their grievances were and could they at least see or understand from a from a, a macro level why this was such an important piece of legislation and you know from an advocacy uh perspective well, we have drop-in centers that I, you know, provide hope bags with um, that, that you know, are utilized in the same way as a respite for people who are trying to escape trafficking and prostitution. Um, uh, showers, rest, get food. It's the same concept. It, it, I'm willing, you know, I, I was willing to reach to to you know, learn of of ways that we could create that same type of community space for you to to be inclusive for sex workers. Yeah. I was it, I, no uh, co- subsequent conversations ever came to fruition from me reaching out to again learn more it's like it was very adversarial so i don't want to say that all sex workers i would never say that are were are adversarial about this uh issue of you know human trafficking versus sex working sex work but i will say my personal experience it was very uh adversarial and um dismissive like there was no conversation they were very defensive okay I mean, so, I mean, you guys have, um, through your, your social media, you have statistics about people who are trafficked. One of the things that, like, made me sick to my stomach, honestly, and, and, and you know, really blew my mind was that, um, you know, from, I guess, testimony from people who have, I guess, been rescued in a sense, that, like, almost on average, like, a, in, in a day, a sex worker will, you know, perform sex acts upwards of a hundred times and more like that. Oh my, yeah. That's insane. Absolutely. They, they, it is sad. I mean, the, the stories that the victim, a human trafficking or a human trafficking victim is one of the most, like of all the types of uh, victims that I have, um, come into contact with, because again, working in the courts, you know, rape victims, I have been in contact with rape victims, victims of uh, assault, uh, uh, you know, um, gunshot victims, you know, violence that have been afflicted. This type of trauma, you know, Imagine a rape victim where this that trauma has occurred in in one event, but you never forget that event, right? Right. You have a, someone that may have been robbed or, or or beaten. That one that's you know one event, but again, it's traumatic enough that you never forget it. Could you imagine being traumatized in the same offense repeatedly, over and over, every day? That's insane. That, that event that may have impacted, you know, that the rest of a person's life from one incident to a person that has been traumatized by the same, you know, uh, act repeatedly. And yes, a hundred times a day where they would have, there's, in, there's young uh, people 
survivors that I've um, spoken with that had to learn how to time their the 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 customers if you will they didn't have watches or anything remember they have nothing they would have to time it on their own to make sure that you know they were on schedule and because if they were too took too long with one person and not enough with another person like they would get beaten withheld food you know what i'm like that on top of the trauma of the actual act the abuse yeah from their perpetrators from the pimps all right so So let's i I can say blowjob on here you can say whatever you want yeah so like you would have they would have to learn how to time it in their mind like what how long a blowjob would take to how long you know certain acts would take and if there were multiple people, like oh my God. that type of train, it's just sick, sickening. Absolutely. It's egregious. So let's try to, <laughs> now that I'm like thoroughly, like, just like, uh, let's, what, what exactly then is the Hope Bag Mission providing for people? And like, in, in what way are you guys, uh, trying to give some positivity here in a pretty dark corner of the world. Sure. Absolutely. So again, like this, this, this crisis or issue is so vast. It's like you almost, it's so big and massive that you, you feel like, what can you do? And then you're not sure what to do. So with the hope bags, what we do is we provide organizations and law enforcement with bags of toiletries and feminine hygiene products like, you know, um, pads, tampons, uh, um, uh, body uh, cloths, if you will, in in addition to essential toiletries like uh, soap and shampoo and conditioners, toothpaste, toothbrush. And um, we don't put, now we do not put razors because sometimes with a, with someone that's, or, that's been traumatized that much, you don't want to, you know, provide them with any type of sharp objects that could harm them. Right. So most toiletries outside of like razors. And what we do is we provide organizations uh, and again, law enforcement with these they're like uh, care packages. And what's the signature to, for the hope? What what makes it a hope bag is that for those who curate the bags, we ask people to write notes of encouragement. Um, it, it's a very uh, altruistic um, uh, transaction, if you will, because People in, in crowd, it's like a, it's it's like crowdsourcing and altruism all in one that we try to accomplish with the hope bags, meaning that people are curating these bags, and you don't know who's going to receive them, right? And we in the notes, you don't know who's in the person who receives the bag doesn't know who curated that bag or wrote that note for them. So it's just this this you know, kind of like blind act of kindness 
just out of this out of your sheer humanity and love for one another. And again, that hope, that element of hope comes from we write notes of encouragement like you are beautiful, you are loved, you are strong. Those types of notes um, really do uh, have an impact on the survivors. I've been to a few safe houses and it and um, also delivered bags to the FBI. And I will never forget, it was actually the FBI agent. So they had just, this is in Philadelphia. We also um, provide hope bags for uh, Delaware. We were referred to the Delaware Bureau by the Philadelphia Bureau. So just as a note, a side note, that this is a very burgeoning issue that now I'm providing bags for the for the Delaware Bureau. But in any event, um, in Philadelphia, an agent, you know, was telling me, I don't think you real, she said, I don't think you realize just how important this work is you're doing. When we give the bags to the, to the, they call them victims because, you know, they're just rescued. When we give the bags to the victims, the one time this little girl, I told you sometimes they can be as young as seven. We get, she said, the agent said, I gave her the bag and she said, the little, the girl said, is this for me? Oh my God. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, I can keep it like everything in it. I can have like, this is mine. I almost like waterworks. Like I did not know the smallest thing, a brush, a comb, shower gel, like this, this victim this survivor, that's the only thing that, like, this is the first time they own something. Because, again, in slavery, that means that someone owns you. And that's the same concept that a pimp takes, that the pimp um, imparts on these, these, these victims. They are property. They get tattoos that are identifying marks of the pimp that, that, you know, that they work for. So to now have a bag that's given to you, you can keep everything in it. And on top of that, you have a note from someone you don't know telling you, you are beautiful, you are strong. I mean, like the agent says, like, that's, that's the part that, you know, I want you to know, like, the work that you're doing is truly impacting the people that we rescue. I'm glad we're not videoing right now and we're just doing this ah, because I'm I'm seriously tearing up and I know like I just I I don't know. I was just picturing that in my head and I can't I don't know, like it's maybe it's weird to say it's such a mind blowing thing to think that even like like a grown man could be sexually attracted to a seven year old. Um Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's crazy. And it, but yeah, like I would imagine if, if everything's been taken from you to even then say now you own something, it's like anything, like you said, a comb, a brush, a towel, anything, uh, it probably makes a really massive difference. Um, so that's honestly, it's, it's, it's an amazing service that you guys are providing. Uh, how, so 
let's say me, let's say Tim over here in New York or somebody listening in Ohio or somebody listening from the UK, if someone's like, wow, that sounds like an amazing project, I would love to get involved, I'd love to donate, I'd love to give supplies, how can somebody participate in the Hope Bag mission? Right, so right now, like the, the because it's like primarily me, and that's really because I just, again, like I told you in the beginning, like I just don't have a lot of time to do a lot of marketing, um, and I, I don't want to spread myself too thin. We primarily, we, we now are primarily working one Hope Fill a Bag event in January because January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So we host a Hope Bag collection, toiletry collection drive during that time. Now, for our, uh, we do also recognize um, the it's World Trafficking Awareness Day. That's in July, and that's when we serve. Um, we also provide bags for the for the refugee community um, and international community. Uh, it's called the Nationality Services Center in Philadelphia. We um, we provide them. They have a uh, anti-human trafficking um, uh, you know sector as well within their organization, and we provide hope bags for for uh, refugees who are escaping you know poverty, trafficking, and other you know social ills. We do that in July, but primarily for the time and just the, the lack of, you know, full, full staff, you know, and, and, and uh, dedicate, not dedication, I have the dedication, but just the timing, I have to, you know, create tangible, you know, um, projects. And that's why primarily we do, we, we do the, the toiletry um, collection in January. Okay. So for those who want to support, I would say um, for like, you know, the for the national, uh, your national listeners or international listeners, you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily support Hope Bag Mission. You can support uh, organizations like, um, oh my gosh, what, what comes to mind? Like the the Salvation Army, they have an anti-trafficking coalition that we also work with here in Philadelphia. Um, it's such a huge issue that I am certain in almost probably in in a majority of the major metropolitan cities. There's there's people on the ground doing work right now, like like you mentioned in Ohio, in um, in Atlanta, in New York at Gem Gem J G E M Gem Girls. That's a huge uh, anti trafficking organization right in New York that um, we have supported and worked with um, in previous years. 
so the there's a lot of organizations you know that are on the ground doing the work but you know for for hope bag just spreading the awareness is the biggest thing that i could implore others to do even if it's just sharing a post um you know uh supporting a local organization one close to where where you are because every little uh form of support is going to go a long way and and, and just do what you can again if it's even just posting about it you never know what type of seed that may spread and and, and start to get people thinking mm. that's what i would say Okay. He doesn't have to be with hope bag primarily, but the essence of spreading hope is more important to me. Well, that's a beautiful notion. Um, I, I have two sort of, well, maybe one of them is on topic, but I have two things I think may take us off topic a little bit, but I'm curious okay. to talk to you about. You had one post. I Let me try to find it. I copied part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess you, you, so you guys had filled 61 hope bags um, distributed to local organizations and law enforcement, including a significant contribution of feminine pads. And you mentioned a woman's campaign and you have the hashtag end period poverty. Oh, good. Yes. What is that? (laughs) So that is a new initiative. Um, I wasn't sure if this was the the right platform because I know we were talking about human trafficking. Oh, we can talk about anything. Um, <laughs> so that's this is interesting. Okay, so that is <laughs> a, a new initiative that um, has really was brought to my attention through again human trafficking, and what I'm learning is you know just how in, the intersections of human trafficking that, that um, are, you know, that I am identifying and falling into these new spaces because of this work. What in period poverty is about is there are young girls, high school, middle school, high school age girls across, in, not just in Philadelphia, nationally and internationally, that are missing school and or um, in some instances using prostitution as a means to get feminine products because they are in high, they're in high poverty, low income families and environments. They can't, the families cannot afford feminine hygiene products. Wow. That is the period poverty aspect. And so because of that lack of access and in schools, um, they're, they're not free. You do, I mean, like a, a, a school nurse may be able to like, distribute one or two to a student per week. But I don't know any woman, you know, please let me know who you are that only has period for one day. Um they do not have that access. So they're not going to school because they don't have access to these, to the pads. And I'm 
please. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Can you? I'm sorry, uh, Tim. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's all good. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? You hear me? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um. So the the because of the um the lack of access, they're not going to school. They're mi- they're missing school. They're um using very dangerous uh uh. uh modifications, if you will, to have, to deal with their menstrual cycle. And I do not even want to take you down that rabbit hole of some of the things that, you know, young girls are using, like stuffing from uh, t- uh, teddy bears to pampers to socks or using one pad for like multiple days and now they have infections. Yeah, you get toxic toxic shock, right? And so, yeah. And so yeah, so this this um this campaign in period poverty is to not only bring awareness to, you know, this this crisis, but it's also to bring uh action to bring action to you know, it's a it's a simple fix to me, where you know we can provide this this. It's not a luxury. Like I know there's so, there's people who believe you know well, it, it doesn't impact men and women, so it's not really a, a public health crisis. And we're like, well, it's not like we have a choice in the matter to have this biological you know um, occurrence. So that does that make it a, a young a girl or female's fault? So that you know this this new not new but new to me new initiative is again in, is interrelated to human trafficking through the through the uh, intersection of prostitution. I did not know that because of, you know, the dire needs and survival and, and creating a means to get the pads, this was a way that young girls were, you know, utilizing to get them. And then that just opens, you know, the whole, uh, opens the, the door, if you will, to becoming a trafficking victim because you may have been introduced to, through to prostitution through a necessity that you had no control over because, you know, and was a, you know, was inadvertently introduced to this because of your ec- socioeconomic status. Wow. Um, yeah, my only sort of experience with that is it, I, you know, I've, I've worked in schools, I've worked in schools here in Brooklyn, and I do have experience with girls missing school due to the menstrual cycle. And that's something I had, as a young person, never been aware of, or maybe just the, co- the community I was in maybe had better resources. Um, but yeah, I can confirm that, yeah, there are girls who are missing school, sometimes multiple days, um, and then missing instruction. Uh, have, did you see the, there's a, do- a sh- documentary short that won the um, Academy Award this year called Period, End of Sentence. Did you see that? No, but that's interesting that you bring that up. That is um, a documentary that I want to see. Um, interestingly enough, I know the the students that were involved in that um, 
documentary. I don't know if they're from Philadelphia per se, but they're from like uh, they're connected to PA in some way. Okay. I also know that they're you know that the 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 premise of that film was to shed light to the the crisis in India, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which all efforts and endeavors, you know, to bring advocacy to this um, crisis is important. Um, I just feel like, you know, there's so many issues at, on the dom- at the domestic level that we just, I don't know if it's because we are a first world country, we are, the you know, a, a developed country that we just overlook a lot of times that the same crises, you know, crises that we advocate and, and um, you know, galvanize support and awareness for overseas, we have a lot of those same issues happening right here in our backyards. Mm. So to create, you know, this advocacy for overseas, again, I'm not against it, but I also want to make sure that we are looking at what's happening in our backyards as well and creating that same, you know, support and, and push. And right now, there's a bill in the House uh, that was represented, that, excuse me, that was sponsored by, um, oh, goodness, she's a state rep in New York, not AOC. I love her. but um, Is it Gillibrand? No, no that's a senator. Um one second, I'll get because I, I need to reach out to this to this uh, sponsor, this, this rep who sponsored this bill. Um, <clears throat> okay, so there's uh, it's the House Bill six nine five three, and it's um, called giving increased resources to learning students, acronym GIRLS, and it would allow states to use student support and academic enrichment grants to supply menstrual hygiene products to students. Wow. And the sponsor was uh, State Rep Grace Mang, M-E-N-G. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, she introduced this bill in September 2018. It's still sitting in the Education and Labor Committee and I'm thinking um, this is an opportune time to get that bill to the floor. And now that we have our freshman class, you know, sworn in, now we, you know, we have the Ayanna Presley's, we have AOC, we have state, we now have Congresswomen. Um, and I didn't mean to say state rep, I'm sorry. I meant to say Congresswoman, um, Grace Ming. But we have, you know, we have Congresswomen now in PA for the for the first time in a long time, um, we can. I think we need to get this bill to the floor for a vote, so that we can start creating a, a funding revenue for states to get these uh, the uh, feminine hygiene products into the schools. This should not. Girls should not be missed, or you know, young people should not be missing school because of you know lack of access to these periods, to 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 their menstrual cycle, and or being vulnerable 
to prostitution and other illicit means, illicit ways to get means for something that they have no control over. That's what end period poverty is about. Yeah, I mean... You'd think that that's a no-brainer, right? Like, if if all of Congress were women, you'd think that would pass in a second. And it's just, it's a weird thing, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just older at this point, but, like, it's a weird thing that, like, menstruation, like, really makes men uncomfortable. And I think maybe, like, that perhaps is a part of it. That, like, I mean, there's, I mean, I think even, like, saying that, like even saying what I just said would make a lot of men uncomfortable. Like talking about women's periods makes men uncomfortable. And I don't really, I don't really understand that. (laughs) No, but you wouldn't be, you hit that nail on the head. It is such an uncomfortable conversation. And let me add to that. It's uncomfortable for young women Mm. to talk about it. That's why a lot of times we don't, we, you know, you don't know that a young girl is missing school because they lack the access to the pad. If if you don't inquire and ask, they're not really forthcoming in telling you. Right. So also about, you know, ending period stigma, ending period shame. You know, uh, a great advocate is um, the feminine product personal care brand always which is under the parent company of Procter & Gamble, they actually are one of the champions of of the hashtag in period poverty and um, advocating for that awareness that is of, um, in the United States, one in five girls in high poverty, low-income areas are missing school because they do not have the access to uh, feminine hygiene products. And again, that intersection for human trafficking and whole bag mission is the fact that the vulnerability leads to illicit ways of acquiring these um, products, one of them being prostitution. So it's about addressing that root cause to also, you know, um, minimize or derail that uh, access of, of, of young girls and the vulnerability of young girls to be um, coerced into that, that lifestyle. Who knew that, you know, um, among the myriad of ways that a, a person can be, um, fall into, into that uh industry could be just from having a lack of resources. That's really crazy. (laughs) Uh, I know it's late. Uh, I'm really appreciative of the time you've given. I've got one more question for you. And this is the one I told you I was going to ask you. So um, obviously, I guess now it was what, maybe two weeks ago, um, Nipsey Hussle was shot and killed. And I follow your uh, personal Instagram account. So I see like he's popping up in your stories and in your posts and things like that. So, uh, you know, I I listen to hip hop. I listen to rap. Um, I think in a sense, maybe I'm a little, uh, I think this is fair to say that I'm a little detached from the fact that like 
he was doing a lot of things for the black community and being like a white guy, I'm detached from it simply because of the fact that I'm a white guy, right? Um, but I've seen like the impact this has had on people. And I don't want to value one life over another, but mm-hmm. uh, I know that you're you're a fan of his and I'm just wondering if you can sort of put to words like why this one maybe stings a little bit extra. Certainly. And, and that's a great, great question and um, very valid question. So for me, and to be honest with you, I, I literally became um, a fan of Nipsey last year because he popped up in my Spotify <laughs> playlist. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a East Coast girl to the death of me. So a lot, you know, I do know like Snoop Dogg and certain crossover artists, but I'm not really like a West Coast kind of rep uh, connoisseur by the least. In any event, um, I learned of him through, again, just this, he just pops into my Spotify. And it wasn't so much his music, per se, that really um, was the admiration. It was the work, the community work that he was involved in, that whole concept of, you know, giving back, going back to where you came from to, you know, empower the people, as well as his mind, like his mindset was very uh, different as opposed to a lot of uh, rappers. uh, I know a very, very early interview that he did when he was up and coming that always stuck out to me was um, the, uh, the, the guy who was interviewing him was like, you know, why, you know, you don't have on a whole lot of chains. And he said, no, because I'm more, uh, I want to invest in real estate. And just that mindset, you know, was that, that, that just really stuck out to me that he, this was somebody that, that thought differently. So, you know, the fact that he was teaching empowerment and really, you know, not just speaking about it, but was really out here doing the work was admirable. And then you add to it, you know, that social element of being in a gang and, and walking away from the gang, the gang life and trying to create inroads with rival gangs and with law enforcement to come up with solutions to curb violence. That, I mean, it's just, his his life and, and his legacy is just one that, you know, was just so compelling to me. You know, using his misfortunes, if you will, or his, uh, you know, lack thereof, being able to, you know, u- utilize that to create a means for himself. But then that added in that added, you know, extra special step of now creating an opportunity for empowerment for the next generation. You know, that concept that uh, Malcolm X coined, each one, teach one. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, thank you, thanks for sharing that. I, I didn't mean to like make you the spokesperson for a, you know an entire community, but I saw that you were. Uh, uh, it, that, this is just me speaking for for Kelly Caldwell, but okay, that's why his um his his you know and the way he died. Oh my gosh! Like the one thing that he was so advocating, you know, um, for, which was reducing violence is the same way that he passed on. It's just the irony is crazy. And I've seen Philly giving him a lot of love, like Meek Mill was saying stuff. I follow, um, I follow China. (laughs) Um, so so yeah, like, uh, I saw that there were a lot of people in Philly who are impacted, uh, by his passing. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, all right, let's let's plug the social media for for Hope Bag, and then uh, I'll let you let you get on your way. Sure. So you can always reach us at um, the Hope Bag. Wait, no, is it Hope Bag? I always get this mixed up because my email is the Hope Bag Mission. Social media is at Hope Bag Mission for Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And then for email, all inquiries, you can reach us at thehopebagmission at gmail.com. And our website is hopebagmission.com. Awesome. And as always, people, you all know that you can just go to the show notes for this episode and you can click the links to all those things that Kelly just mentioned. Kelly, you are awesome. Thank you so much for giving me, you know, time at night here to to record this conversation. It's really inspiring. Like I love to, you know, talk to people who, I don't know, I feel like so many people complain about things nowadays and it is really inspiring to me when people are, you know, taking action to to solve things instead of just like talking about it on the internet. So uh, yeah, you're, you're a badass and uh, you're really inspiring. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. And you're inspiring too. Like, I wish I could just do, the, you know, the, the, you're so fearless, all of the travel and just um, just pursuing your dreams. Like, that to me is badass. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate um, that. Likewise, sir. And I'm, you know, been checking out your Instagram and wow, I can't wait to see where your next venture takes you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um... Safe travels, of course. Thank you. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode number 111 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Many, many thanks to Kelly for coming on and for educating us and educating me and enlightening us. Uh, This is a really amazing cause, folks, so if you can get involved, please do. Um, Like I said, I'll have some more stuff from Philly coming I believe tomorrow I'm recording with uh, some van lifers, two people who are living the van life and have been doing so for a really long time. And then I got some other cool stuff coming up. So stay tuned, subscribe, check out uh, the social media accounts, check out the Patreon, get involved in the Voyager family here. I appreciate everyone for listening as always. Like this is, I don't know. I I really love doing this and I'm just really fortunate and grateful that I get to have these conversations with these amazing people and then get to know them and become friends with them. Uh, My life is weird, man. I don't know. It's been, uh, 
it's been really great uh, these, these these last couple of years doing this and traveling and I don't know. I'm just really happy. So yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in as always. Oh, it's also been a really good month this month on the podcast. So yeah, all the new subscriptions and listens and stuff like that. Uh, if you're new to the Voyager family, thank you for listening. I appreciate you all. Uh, and to my faithfuls who've been there from day one or the people who reach out to me or my friends and family and people like that, that I know that listen all the time. Thank you folks. I love you. And for everybody, as always, we always close it out with this. Please, 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 please take care of each other. Thanks folks. Love you. Talk to you next time.